One time when Abby, our older daughter, was three, we went to Denver to visit my brother Jim. My brother Jim had just put in a new sprinkler system, and he had all these flowers and plants, and he was all excited about it, and he was showing me, and I really, to be honest, wasn't all that excited about it, but Abby, it was another story. I mean, she said, what kind of flower is that, Uncle Jim? When does that water come on, Uncle Jim? Why is that bee over there, Uncle Jim? And after about 20 questions, my brother Jim said, you sure do ask a lot of questions. And she said, Uncle Jim, that's the way you learn. And that is the way we learn. We ask questions. And if we ask questions when we're little, one of two things happens. People tell us to be quiet or they give us answers. And when they tell us to be quiet, that can squelch the desire to learn. But if they give us answers, responses to our questions, a whole new world opens up to us. And if we're blessed, we continue to ask questions throughout our lives. Now, the series we're starting today is, gonna, is called Q&A, Questions and answers. And, and right at the top, we want to tell you, we don't know all the answers. In fact, I don't even think we know all the questions. But what I do know is this. We're going to talk about what's most important in this life. We're going to talk about the meaning and purpose of life. We're going to talk about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Yes, we are biased. Every single speaker that you will hear during this series believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that life is best when we follow him. This is a church. It is a church after all. But what you might not realize is that people who believe what I just said don't all have weak minds. We think here in our staff, I, I, I challenge us to think every day before we open up our mouth, I, I challenge us to think about the implications of the things that we say that we believe, the things that we say from here. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to consider the basic questions of the foundations of life, and we're going to do that from a perspective, really, from a, a series that's called the Alpha Series, and uh, it's a biblically-based series that talks about the most important questions in life and about faith, and of course, if it wasn't based in the Bible, we wouldn't be doing it here at New Life, and the thing that the Alpha Series represents uh, recognizes right at the very outset that when people come, they say, we know that at the end of this series, you may not yet trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. But what we also know is many of you have never seriously considered the claims that Jesus made. And that's true. You see, at one extreme, we have people who, from the time they were little, their parents told them that Jesus is Lord, and so they just sort of accepted what their parents said. Or maybe they went to church, and week after week after week, they go to church, and they sort of just got Jesus by osmosis. Or they went to some concert, Christian concert, and they got this warm feeling inside, and they've sort of gone with that. And they've never really considered the questions that people raise about Jesus and about faith. At the other extreme are those who say, well, there's no God. Or they don't care about God, but they too have never really ex examined all the evidence that there is a God who has a son named Jesus who loves us so much that he came to the earth and died and rose again on our behalf. But if you're willing to open your mind and heart during these 12 weeks, you will have all the evidence you need to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I know if you don't want to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you'll always find a reason not to. But... If you have already trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, I hope and pray that you'll have an even deeper faith than this, than you have right now at the, at the end of this series. But I pray something more, and I pray that all of us will deepen our commitment to share the truth and love that we have experienced from Jesus with others. I can't wait for these messages. You know why? Because God has given us two promises, hundreds of promises, but these two 
The first promise is from the Old Testament. God said that when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And Jesus in the New Testament said this, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If there's ever been a time in history when there was a greater need for truth and for freedom, freedom from addiction, freedom from anger, freedom from apathy, freedom from distraction, freedom from hatred, and just from the sheer volume of lies from the devil and the world, this is it. We live in a multiple option world, don't we? I mean, all you have to do is pull this thing out of your pocket and you have hundreds, if not thousands of options. I went to the ball game. Nancy and I went with my brother Ken and his wife Colleen on Friday night. We saw the Pirates win for like the 10th time since the All-Star break. But anyway, Ken pulled out his phone and I said, man, how many apps do you have on that thing? He said, I don't know, like 30. I said, you have way more than 30, dude. And so anyway, he, he, he sat there and counted them. 140 apps on his phone. Now, you can laugh, but I'll bet you you have 100. You see, there's so many options out there in the world right now. So the world we live in today, you know, we have these option, 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 option. But here's the thing. Many people are still asking a question. Isn't there more to life than that? And that's why the first message in the series is titled, Isn't There More to Life? Or is there more to life than this? This world is so different than the world I was born into 65 years ago. 65 years ago, if you wanted to watch the news, you had to get up early in the morning or else you had to watch at 6 in the evening or else you had to walk at, watch at 11 o'clock at night. You could turn on your radio to KDKA if it was around here. And if you really wanted, you know, you could, you could read your newspaper. Where I lived, it was called the Indiana Evening Gazette, which tells you the news wasn't news by the time we got it. You know? But think about what happened 21 years ago today. 9-11, this is 9-11, right? 21 years ago, I was actually writing a sermon and somebody, an elder from the church called me and said, you need to turn on the TV. See, back in those days, you had to turn on the TV to know what was going on. So I turned on the TV and the World Trade Center was already, you know, just as I turned it on, actually the second plane went into the World Trade Center. But today, not so much. I mean, when Queen Elizabeth died this week, how many seconds do you think it was after her last breath before we knew she was dead? The world has changed so drastically and so radically. So, and, and we now live in this age of con computer-generated graphics. We don't know if what we see on TV is real or if what we're watching on our phone is real. We don't know if the news is real. In fact, there are so many people that question that. And then we have this whole thing called virtual reality. And, and, and there are people who, who spend more time in virtual reality than in the real world. And here's my point. There has never been more to life than there is right now. When we ask the question, is there more to life than this, right? This means so many things because our experiences are real and virtual, they're physical and they're spiritual, and they offer us so many possibilities. But with all that's available to us, many people still ask the question, is this it? And I remember when I was growing up, I always thought what was coming next was better than what was now. I remember as a little kid, I'd say, man, I can't wait till school's out. And then I, I couldn't wait till I got my driver's license. And then I couldn't wait till whatever it was next, right? And my mother would say something which I have come to realize is profound. She would say, don't wish your life away. You see, at that time, I didn't get it. I was 10 or I was 16 or I was 20. But what I've come to realize now that I'm 65 is life goes way faster than anybody ever imagined it's going to go, even if we're not wishing for the next year or the 10 years from now for something to happen. But picture how life does go. We're born, born into the world, 
And for the first two or three years of life, if people feed us, they change our diapers, they smile at us, they answer our questions, we come to trust people. Most of us do. But what if that person who is supposed to be there wasn't there? What if they didn't feed us? What if they didn't do the things they're supposed to do? Then we become basically mistrusting. There's trusting people and mistrusting people. And a lot of it has to do with the first two or three years of our life. And then we go to preschool. Well, I didn't go to preschool because they didn't have such a thing where I lived. They didn't even have kindergarten. I started right in first grade. I was so smart. No, I wasn't. I just, they didn't have kindergarten. There was no option. But you go to preschool, then you go to elementary school. And what do you do there? You learn facts. You learn facts about life, what's going on in life. And, and here's the thing, you know, there are so many different facts than when I grew up, and I'm not just talking about the history, how it's been revised. I'm talking about how much more there is. I mean, when I was born, Dwight Eisenhower was the president. Some of you never even heard there was a Dwight Eisenhower. And there have been so many presidents since then, right? So there's so much more information. Hey, but when we were in preschool and elementary school, here's what we learn. Some of us learn that if you're smart, you can get rewarded for that. Well, other people don't reward you for that. And some people learn if you're good at sports, you get rewarded for that. Or if you're good at music, you get rewarded for that. If you're good at video games, you get rewarded for that. There's something you get rewarded for. And so you start to think, well, the more I need in life is one of those things. And that's how we live our lives. And then what happens, I think to all of us, we say there are so many wars out there, so many choices out there. I don't know how we can fit it all into 24 hours. How, how can we do everything we need to do in 24 hours every day? Well, short answer to that, we cannot. And so what happens at one extreme is we get to be driven people, or at the other extreme, we get to be burned out people. And, and the thing is, in the midst of that, some people have decided that the meaning of life is more. More what, you ask? Well, more friends, or, or more money, or more influence, or more power. And here's the thing. I love the quote from Jim Carrey, who has a lot of money and a lot of fame. And he said this. This is a very powerful statement. I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that that's not the answer. You see, money is a dissatisfier. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, if you don't have enough money to buy food for your kids, you're dissatisfied. If you live where I live and you don't have enough money to buy a car then you're dissatisfied because it's hard walking from Cabot to everywhere you want to go. So money is a dissatisfier. But once you have a, a certain level of money, more money, like you can multiply it by 10, 100, 1,000, you don't get more. You don't get happier. You just get less dissatisfied maybe. But dissatisfier is what money is. And Jim Carrey figured that out. You know, there's another actor, comedian. His name is Russell Brand. And he said this about alcohol and other drugs. He said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside of me. Is reality your problem? Do you have a hole or two inside of you? I do. We all do. We all have holes inside of us. 2,000 years ago, the average person actually had a physical hole inside of them. All they wanted was some bread to eat. That was what they thought about when they got up in the morning. How am I going to feed my family today? And Jesus came along. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus wasn't just talking about physical bread. I mean, he provided a lot of that for people. But he was talking about those holes that are inside of us that Russell Brand talked about. Jesus came to fill that up because the reality is 
that there is a spiritual hunger inside of each and every one of us that no amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of anything, drugs, alcohol, you name it, is ever going to fill up. And Jesus said, I came to fill it up. We're all looking for more, aren't we? Today's take-home point, the one point that I'm going to be making from the brief scripture that we're going to read today, offers us the more that we seek. And here it is. Jesus is the more we're looking for in life. Jesus is the more that we're looking for in life. Now, you would expect me to say that. I'm a pastor after all. But what you might not expect is that when I was a teenager, I didn't believe that. I believed that the more I needed in my life was riches and fame. In fact, from the time I was a little kid, I was going to be the left fielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates when Willie Stargell retired. And if you don't know baseball very well, you think Willie Stargell was a first baseman. That was when he got old and slow. He was a really good left fielder when he was younger. And so I figured the math, and I figured when he was old enough to retire, I was going to be the left fielder for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And it wasn't just a little kid's dream. I mean, I pursued that actively. I actually would go over to the little baseball field in Gypsy, and I would have my brother Ken throw line drives at the fence, and I would dive into the fence and catch the ball so that whenever I was playing in a real game, I would not be afraid to run through the fence if I had to to catch the ball. That's how serious I was because I thought riches and fame was the way to get the more that I wanted in my life. And when I was 17 years old, Jesus called me in a way that is as tangible as any speech or conversation I've ever had with any of you to become a pastor. And I gave him a very clear answer to that call. I said, no, no thank you. Actually, I don't think I was that polite. Because you know what? There was no way, there was no way that I was going to be a pastor. You know why? Because every preacher that I knew was poor. Many of them were driving school buses to feed their families because their churches didn't pay them enough to make ends meet. And and the other thing was, most of the Christians I knew, they weren't very exciting. And they weren't even excited about Jesus. So why in the world would I want to waste my life doing that? That's how I thought when I was 17 years old. And I've been doing (laughs) ordained ministry for 38 years now. I've been doing some kind of ministry since I was 19. Two years after I thought that Jesus was not really the the way for me to become what I wanted to be, I started serving him. And I was still not quite sure. So what happened? Why is it that I'm standing here telling you that Jesus is the more we're looking for when I should be sitting home counting my money and enjoying my retirement? Why is that? Well, it's simple, really. I did trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord when I was 12 years old. I had started reading the Bible when I was six. When I learned how to read... Somebody told me that the Bible was the Word of God. And I said, well, if it's the Word of God, then I probably should read it. And as I read it, I found out that Jesus made some claims that nobody in history has ever made. And I'm going to tell you about one. It's probably the central one that we all need to think about and really reflect on and then live out if we believe it. And it happened the night before Jesus was crucified. He gathered his followers together, his 12 disciples, and he told them that he was leaving that he was going to prepare a place for them and that he would come back and that he would bring them to the place he was going so that they could be with him. And then he said this. He said, you know the way to the place that I'm going. And Thomas, one of the 12, said, "Um, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus said something that most of us have heard. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that sums up who Jesus is. Jesus said, I am the way. Well, the way to what? Jesus is the way to see life clearly for what it is. When I was in eighth grade, 
I had a geography test. And the teacher put the questions for the test up on the, on the chalkboard. It's sort of like a dry erase board, but it you know, doesn't use dry erase markers. It uses chalk, and it was green. Some of them used to be black. Anyway, it, it, my problem was I couldn't read the questions. It wasn't because I couldn't read. I couldn't see them. And I was sitting in the front row. I had to raise my hand and say to the teacher, can I um, walk up to the board because I can't see them? And I had to get within three feet of the board to see the questions. So I went home that day, told my mom, and she scheduled an appointment for me at the eye doctor's. And when I went to the eye doctor's, you know, I went in, and he put me down in front of that little machine where you look through with the eyes, you know, and I'm, I'm looking with my natural eyes, and, and it was just blurry. I couldn't really see anything. And then he started, you know, tweaks and little things, and all of a sudden, whoa, it was as clear as anything. I could read those little tiny letters. I didn't even know they were letters. Suddenly I could see, and I got glasses, and I went out. Everything was clear. And then when Teresa and uh, Kina and Miko came to live with us five years ago, Teresa needed an eye appointment because she had the same kind of situation. She got glasses. She came outside. The first thing, she looked up at a tree. She said, they have, that tree has individual leaves. And, and, and I've been there. I know what she's talking about. And so Jesus, when he says, I'm the way, what he means is he's the glasses or contact lenses so that we can see not just visual acuity, we can see the meaning and purpose of life clearly. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, that is the sun, but by it I see everything else. And that isn't all. Jesus didn't just say, I'm the way. What else did he say? He said, I am the truth. Now, you might hear me say that, that when I say Jesus is the truth, and you might respond, well, that's good for you. If Jesus is true for you, that's okay. But, you know, I, I have a different path. I have a different way. But that makes no sense. I mean, if Jesus is the truth, then he's true for everybody. And if Jesus isn't the truth, then he's not true for me. Once more, only one more C.S. Lewis quote for today. Here's what he said. Christianity is a statement which, if it's false, is of no importance. And if it's a true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. That's why I'm a pastor after five years of running away from the call in my life that Jesus put on my life, I realized something. Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life. And no amount of money, no amount of fame can ever, ever, ever substitute for a life in relationship with him. And so what I'm not saying right now is you all need to go out and become pastors. Oh my goodness, God forbid that we have five, you know, 800 pastors here at the church, right? What I'm saying is every single one of us, each and every one of us needs to find out who it is that Jesus created us to be, what it is he created us to do before the foundation of the universe, and then live into that. You know, another thing about Jesus as the truth, truth is sort of falling on hard times here in, uh, in the 21st century. There are people who don't believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. But there are facts. Like right now, it's 11.20 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's a fact. You don't have to believe it, but it's true. Now, Jesus lived... He died, he rose again, and there are more documents to state and attest to that reality than there are, by exponential amount more, than there are to attest that Alexander the Great lived or any of the Roman emperors. Pastor Alex is going to talk more about that next week, but the point is, there is truth, and Jesus lived, died, rose again. Those things are facts. Now, the last thing about truth, before we move on to one more point, and the last thing about truth is, Jesus grew up in Israel. 
And the Israelites had two different ways of looking at truth. They looked at truth the way we do, with facts and figures. That's called intellectual truth, academic truth. But they also believed in what they would call heart knowledge, heart truth. Let me give you an example. Nancy, my wife, and I have been married for a little more than 43 years. But let's say that 48 years ago, before I ever knew that Nancy Fairman existed, I went into a bookstore, and again, some of you won't remember what those are, but there, there were places where you could actually buy books. You didn't have to go to Amazon or whatever. And, and so you went into the bookstore. I went into the bookstore, and I find this book called The Amazing Nancy Fairman. And I open up the book, and it says, chapter one, Nancy's amazing intellect. Chapter two, Nancy's amazing personality. Chapter three, Nancy's potential to be a patient wife. Chapter four, Nancy's amazing ability to cook desserts. Chapter five, Nancy's commitment to Jesus Christ. And I said, well, this book looks pretty interesting. I think I'll read it. So I read the book, and after I read the book, I knew Nancy Fairman. Intellectually, that's intellectual or head knowledge. But I've been married to her for 43 years. And I know that Nancy is more amazing than any of you could ever realize. And that's heart knowledge. That's experience. And when Jesus said, I am the truth, he meant that he lived and that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. Those things are head knowledge. But what he meant was, you can have a relationship with me. You can have a relationship with the living God of the universe through me. And we have that opportunity now. So... Jesus said one more thing. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And then he said, I am the life. And just as the Greeks had four words for love, they had several words for life. And one of the words, and the, the word is bios, when Jesus said, I am the life, it wasn't bios, that's physical life. He said, I am the zoe, which is spiritual life. It's God's life. And in fact, in another verse, in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he's talking about Zoe, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have Zoe and have it abundantly. The thief that Jesus is talking about is the devil. His purpose is to destroy our lives, physically and spiritually. Jesus came not only to be Zoe, but to give us all Zoe in abundance. And some of us read that and we go, oh, that means I can be rich and famous. And that's not the Zoe that Jesus, and that's not the abundance that Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was talking about is we don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about guilt. We don't have to worry about shame or any of the stuff that the devil lies to us about ever again when we know him as the life. Jesus, the perfect son of God, gave his life on the cross, and now we can have abundant life now and forever. When we fill our mind and our need for more with Jesus, putting him first, that need is fulfilled beyond anything we could imagine. This life is still going to be hard. After Jesus is Lord and Savior in our life, this life is still hard. you know why? Because the thief is still out there. He's still trying to kill us. He's still trying to steal from us. He's still trying to destroy us. But this life is so different when Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our lives. I love how Alice Cooper put it. I want that to sink in for a minute. Alice Cooper. All right, if you never heard of Alice Cooper, he's the god of shock rock from the 1970s. He was my favorite singer when I was a teenager. All right, and some of you are going, what, you're a pastor? And we'll talk about that a different day. But let's talk about what Alice Cooper said. He said, because he actually became a Christian because he found that being rich and famous isn't all that it's cracked up to be. 
So he said this, it hasn't, it hasn't been easy combining religion and rock. It's the most rebellious thing I've ever done. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's real rebellion. You see, following Jesus isn't easy. But it's not boring. It's not untrue. It's not irrelevant. It's exciting. I believe it's the greatest more that we can ever find, and it's so relevant to our everyday lives. Jesus is the bread of life, the one who fills in those holes that we all have, spiritually speaking, and even physically. He's the one who gives us meaning and purpose. He's the one who satisfies our hunger for more, whatever the more might be. So we have so much more to explore during this series. I can't wait for the rest of this series. But more important than you being here, and I hope you will come for every single message, I hope that what you'll do is what you're going to do today. I hope that you'll take some time with somebody. Go to lunch with them. Just hang out here for a little bit after worship and reflect on what I just said. Think about it. Pray about it. Consider what if what Chris said is true. What if there is a thief? And what if there is a God who sent his only son to come to live a perfect life and that we can know him with our hearts, not just with our heads? What will that that matter tomorrow when we're at work or at school? What will it matter when we're out there in the world where everybody thinks that Christians hate everybody and we're boring? Well, one thing I'm not is a hater. I'm really not boring either. People like hanging out with me. I mean, they actually do. And I'm not bragging, I'm just saying that you can be that person who isn't a hater, who is actually a lover in the sense of agape love, the sacrificing love of God, and you can be someone that wants that be, you know, that you get invited to the party. Although I have to admit, I don't get invited to that many parties when they think pastor. You see, they have to get below that before they invite me to the party. But once I get there, they want me to stick around, and I hope they want you to stick around too. So here's the next step that we're going to do this week. Here it is. I will put Jesus first in everything this week. I will put Jesus first in everything this week. Because as we do that, what will happen is we will have more and more and more of the actual more that we've all been looking for in our lives. Amen? As Pastor Chris said in his message, the more that we are searching for is Jesus. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to keep searching for that more, that that hole that you just can't fill. So let's change that today. Today is the day that you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And here at New Life, we say that it is as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And B, you believe. You believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And see, you confess. You confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you commit to following him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. You can pray it with me, or you can say it again in your own words, because it's really not the words that matter. It's the intent. It's the purpose of why we're doing this and what we're saying. You are giving up control of everything. You're realizing that that hole can only be filled by Jesus. So pray this with me right now. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I need you 
to fill the holes in me that I have tried to fill with other things in this life. And Jesus, I believe that you are my Lord and Savior and that you came to this earth and that you died on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you rose again on the third day, just as you promised that you would. And I confess to everyone that Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And I commit to following you every day. And I will no longer chase after the things in this world to fill me because you, Jesus, are the more. You are everything that I will ever need. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.